The holiday season is now upon us. The year is absolutely flying by, and the news never stops. That's why we at the DSR Network have expanded our programming to cover even more of the world's events. We hope you will consider supporting our work by becoming a member. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the member-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of November, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code STUFFING at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code STUFFING. Thank you very much for your support. This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we head into another incredible election cycle, although every day seems like there's something going on, Norm, that is incredible. We're going to do kind of a, uh, a longer pod in the sense that we're combining our um, general audience and our members only, and it's mostly because we're heading into the holiday season and, and have uh, wanted to leave room for our members to be able to send us questions and anybody send us questions during the Thanksgiving week where we're all going to hopefully take a break and give thanks for the incredible norm. I will get, we'll give a, we'll give thanks maybe at the end of this pod and maybe we'll end with kind of what we're thankful for, because I think we're going to get into some things that are pretty unthankful or some pretty thankless people. And that's namely every single one of our elected so-called leadership on the Republican side in the House of Representatives. And so that's maybe what we'll start off today. Norm, I don't even have the ability to tell you, I have a rule with um, my children that if they, you know, use a, in our household, like a swear word is even the word stupid. We're trying not to let our kids say it as much as sometimes I do. And so we have a little rule that if you do that, we take a toy away or we take something very, very valuable away. My son's soccer cards, that type of thing. If I had to do that with the House of Representatives, they wouldn't have any toys. That would that would have no toys. <laughs> no toys. What is going on? How can how can you describe to the listening public what has transpired in the House, which is laughable and sad at best? So you'll have to take away my toys, but it's a shit show. Uh, <laughs> you get a pass. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, let me start with uh, the new speaker, Mike. Johnson, um, who uh, barely more than a day after Donald Trump said he uh, wanted to get rid of the vermin uh, taken right from the Hitler playbook, right after the New York Times published a damning piece that uh, Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon, who would be running uh, a second Trump term, talked about setting up uh, 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 detention camps, meaning concentration camps, for literally millions of people in America before they would deport them, throw them out of the country. Uh, Mike Johnson offered a full-throated endorsement of Donald Trump uh, for president. 
So that tells you something about the nature of our leadership, not to mention, of course, that Mike Johnson, who made tons of money as a lawyer, apparently has multiple properties, um, uh, said that he has no assets and no bank account. So we can start with that. Now, we move from there to another reality, Kavita, which is that Johnson, faced with an untenable situation on the verge of a shutdown that would be blamed on him and his House Republicans, managed to pull off a second continuing resolution by bringing it up. And it was ironic because it was uh, 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 this laddered approach, two different deadlines for the different appropriations bills that had originally been proposed by the Freedom Caucus, which they then opposed. But he did what Kevin McCarthy had done. He brought it up under suspension, which means you need a two-thirds vote. And they got twice as many Democrats as Republicans to get it through. That was followed by Kevin McCarthy walking down the corridors in the Capitol, passing Tim Burchett of Arkansas, who had been one of the uh, Republicans who had voted to oust him after he had done a continuing resolution in this fashion. And McCarthy gave him a shot to the kidneys while he was, uh, while Birch was being interviewed by an NPR reporter. Undoubtedly, McCarthy looking at Tim, uh, at Mike Johnson getting away with what destroyed his speakership was even more upset than he had been before with the people who had gotten him ousted. But that same day we had Mark Wayne Mullen, a senator from Oklahoma, who basically stood up uh, on the dais of a hearing with the Teamster president and said, let's get it on right here and now, uh, following some tweets that uh, the Teamster president had put out there. And it took Bernie Sanders shouting, you are a United States senator to keep this from turning into a fistfight. So we've got uh, possibilities and incidents of violence on the Hill. And I just keep coming back to uh, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan's defining deviancy down. Things that would have been no-nos in the past, and we had instances of uh, either fights or near fights, but they were brought uh, together with shame, rain down on those who perpetrated them by their colleagues. Now it's matter of fact. And then today, of course, we have George Santos with a damning report by the House Ethics Committee, which despite saying that he uh, committed all kinds of offenses and violated laws, uh, doesn't yet recommend that he be expelled. Uh, So, you know, what can be positive about what's going on in Congress? I'll mention one other thing that isn't just about Republicans, Kavita, which is that the Senate, after passing the continuing resolution, took off with something like 19 judgeships still pending. Uh, They're slowing down the pace, even as they ought to be speeding it up of judges. And that's on Chuck Schumer and the Democrats. So it's not like... uh, We've got a lot of people here who are uh, uh, painting themselves with uh, glory. How so? 
just to touch on that point a minute on the Senate and Chuck Schumer, um, I had actually brought this up with some former Judiciary Committee staff, so no longer um, on the Hill, but kind of recent, kind of finds you know former kind of Feinstein people, and they have all said that um, this is a point of contention with the White House. I, I, who knows what the kind of underlying issues are? Because I said, look. I mean, tell me what I'm missing. This isn't strategic that you're not moving these names through. So what is it? And and I, I was a little puzzled by that. Norm, can you explain perhaps why Schumer, who is one of the most savvy politicians I know, why he'd be slow walking these judicial nominees? Or is it, obviously they don't think they have the votes, sure. But why wouldn't he be forcing this issue kind of you know, I don't have inside knowledge uh, if there's anything more going on than what I think is going on. But here's what I think is going on. We have uh, 24 Democratic seats up in the Senate uh, in uh, next year. And we have a lengthy recess now. I think uh, Schumer, whose leadership has been characterized by bending over backwards to accommodate his colleagues. That's how he got in there in the first place. I think it's just, okay, you go home and campaign or you go home and do whatever else you want to do during the recess and we'll deal with it later. It's treating this as business as usual. And we are at a, an urgent point, you know, uh, I have rarely been as unsettled as I am now. Uh, It's uh, Donald Trump is now being even more explicit about bringing fascism uh, to the American uh, uh, population and country if he gets reelected. Univision, which we can soon be calling Fashivision, has decided to turn from being unhappy with Trump as it should be, given his uh, attitude towards immigration and towards Hispanics and the desire we now know to bring back child separation at the border. Uh, But they've gone full Trumpian now. And so we've got a real threat here. And it's a threat, and given the election, where judges can maybe the only bulwark we have against full-blown fascism you got to get those judges in, and it ought to be a matter of enormous urgency. And that it's not, I don't take any excuses, is shameful. So how, and then let's go back to the House for a second, because that I, yeah. uh, for a little while. So this has been, um, I have I have heard colleagues describe uh, what, what's unfolding in the House, uh, you know, kind of Game of Thrones. I don't watch these shows, but it means something probably to a lot of people. Game of Thrones meets Succession. Um, I'm not sure. I think those are, you know, just basically, (laughs) and I would probably say to me, it seems like Lord of the Flies because that's what comes to mind from my reading. And I'm not sure who Piggy is in this scenario, but I I certainly can't see it. This is, um, so let's talk about something you and I have often spoken about the, the fact that, um, they did, that we still have a government that's running, that they were able to actually kind of pass, um, a resolution to like avoid like the government shutdown that I'll be candid. I thought November 17th, here we go. We're going to have a shutdown. Yeah. So, but there's a big, but to it. And it comes in terms of what, how that shutdown, how that shutdown was averted. And I think that speaks to, first of all, I had never heard in the days leading up to this resolution. I have never heard of like a laddered 
you know, yeah. budget. I had never heard of it. And in fact, there were many of us um, who actually had to, you know, send around like a text chain of what exactly is this? And, and none of us have ever heard of it. Explain, Norm, for listeners, kind of what this laddered CR and kind of what that was and then where we are at with the shutdown and why, if you tell me if you share my deep, deep, deep concerns that this is not, um, that it's not a good sign. I think the headlines might take away, you know, government averted a shutdown as if government is working. I think this is very dangerous in the manner that it, which it, with which it were done, with, with which it was done. And then also what it could mean as a precedence going forward. Uh, so laddered means that instead of having a continuing resolution for all of the spending bills that goes for, as they have usually done, 45 days, they have some of these bills uh, expiring in January and others in February. And it's an attempt to, uh, and you know, most of the people who've been involved with budgets and uh, uh, appropriations and fiscal matters say that this is loony. But it's an attempt by conservatives to try and separate out defense from which they want from uh, a lot of other domestic appropriations bills, uh, including health and human services and others. Uh, What we know uh, from this, and it is a foolish thing to do if you're looking at keeping the government running, we know first that. Uh, Mike Johnson got a pass on this from his more radical colleagues because he's new to the job. But as some of them said, it's strike one. So uh, in January and in February, the pressure on Johnson to use this to uh, try and gain radical spending cuts in the areas that Republicans don't like, which is almost every area of discretionary spending, uh, except for the border, uh, is going to be enormous. And that means uh, I will be, I was like you, expecting that we would get this shutdown uh, in uh, uh, this coming week. Um, I uh, will be gobsmacked if we don't have a shutdown before the fiscal year ends, uh, which is next October 1. Um, I'm expecting at least partial shutdowns along the way. Uh, Now, there's one caveat here that's uh, important to mention. Republicans are already down one member because you had a, a early departure, a resignation from a a seat in Utah, and it's going to take a while for a special election to fill it. The pressure on George Santos to be, uh, to leave uh, on the House to expel him, especially if this trial moves forward, could reduce their margin to two. So they're going to be skating on thin ice anyhow. The pressure on Mike Johnson to defer once again to his more radical colleagues, though, is going to be even greater. And I expect a lot of chaos ahead when Congress comes back after Thanksgiving, before Christmas, and then certainly when they return in early January. We have a thoroughly dysfunctional House. The uh, tensions inside the Republican conference, it's not just 
Kevin McCarthy and Burchett and Matt Gates. It's also uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene ready to go after Lauren Boebert. Um, they're looking like the idiots that they are. And we have a speaker who has all kinds of question marks surrounding him. It's not just his radical Christian nationalism, but a potential uh, ethics catastrophe. Um, if they have to go back and, and find a different speaker, it's going to be that much worse. They're looking like idiots, and they're looking that way because they are. I think that the problem, and then this uh, gets to the like meta conversation about you know what's happening around like dinner tables at home and and what are people talking about on the weekends when they look at this the majority of the public just i'm being brutally honest the majority of the public is even though they kind of maybe but nobody knows who mike johnson is but few people probably even knew who kevin mccarthy was like exactly um my concern here at norm is that this chaos is not, and it might be the geopolitical time we're in right we're in just incredible dire crises in in israel incredible dire crises like you know ukraine i mean this is just and then not to mention what is happening in other parts of the world that we just don't have time to even talk about um, but there's just this overlay if you will and tell me um your thoughts and reactions i am concerned that despite all this chaos and this childishness and everybody losing their toys, that the general public, at the end of the day, Norm, they care about, do I feel like I'm more secure in terms of physical security, financial security than I was X months ago? I don't know if they would answer the question, yes or no. Or if they answer the question, are you more financially secure than you were several months ago? And they say no, they're going to blame not Mike Johnson, not Marjorie Taylor Greene, not all these kind of, you know, the idiots of, of um, the idiots of Washington, they're going to probably blame one person and that's Joe Biden. And that got brought to the fore to me. I'm not sure if you caught, I think it was today's New York times. I saw it electronically. So I'm not sure if it was in print about the, um, I think it was today. It was Nate Cohn and Claire Miller on the Kamala, but no, you know, not Joe voters, which is interesting. And this is building off of this recent, I take polls with a grain of salt, especially a year out of an election. But this comes after, you know, a, a, a poll that showed a hypothetical ma matchup where Kamala Harris performed slightly better than Joe Biden in some key states. And especially amongst kind of younger, you know, non-white voters who tend to be less engaged. Right. So so just tell me if I have a little bit of that um, diagnosis correct and and if so, what what does this mean between now and November of 2024 in terms of the Senate seats, in terms of Biden? And and how can what I worry about also is that while this childishness has happened, I would love to see leadership as a contrast. I, I would like to say I think Biden is doing that. But to your point about why you're seeing um, Schumer demurring off of judicial candidates, which he shouldn't, but I, I, your explanation rings true. You don't see this. I know this sounds crazy, but if you and I had the bully pulpit that most of these democratic leaders have, Norm, every single day, every cabinet member, every leader in the Senate and the House, you know, Patty Murray to this person, to Ron Wyden, to that person, they should be, Michael Bennett, right? Sheldon, White House, all of them. They should be creating 
the kind of counter narrative or defining the narrative so that when Americans ask, you know, an answer, do you feel better than you did a year ago, two years ago, four years ago, that they can say yes. And I, I don't see it. No, I, I'm afraid your uh, analysis is spot on. The first point is a key one. If there's dysfunction in Washington, voters are not going to parse this out and say, you know, it's the fault of the House Republicans. It's the fault of the Republican Party. Uh, the person at the top, the president, uh, suffers. That's a reality. Uh, people think it's not working. Uh, they want to know why the president hasn't fixed it. That's certainly a part of it. Um, I worry very much about the Middle East. Uh, and, you know, what we know as of now is that the Arab American population, heavy concentration in Michigan, is uh, upset, uh, would be a, a modest word to use, with Joe Biden for his full-throated support of Israel. And uh, that puts Michigan potentially in jeopardy. We also know that it's had an impact on a lot of younger Democratic voters who have been caught up with the uh, idea of uh, Israel as the colonial power oppressing Palestinians. Um, and they may not vote for Biden. Now, I don't think the Arab American uh, population is going to end up voting uh, en masse for Donald Trump, the guy who said that the first thing he'll do is bring back the Muslim ban. Uh, but there will be other options out there. And that includes uh, no labels. We can talk for a minute about the Senate. Um, but, you know, uh, the headlines that Joe Manchin's retirement is a blow to the Democrats holding the Senate is not accurate. Joe Manchin is retiring in significant part because he was going to lose that Senate seat. The governor, Jim Justice, has a wide lead over him. But I think he is seriously considering running on a no-labels ticket. No-labels is a pernicious operation. I'm still pretty confident, despite all of the body blows that we have seen, despite these polls, which you're right, should not be taken seriously a year before the election. But I'm confident that if it's a one-on-one -on -one matchup with uh, a probably convicted criminal Donald Trump against Joe Biden, Joe Biden wins. But with Jill Stein now jumping back into it, with the Libertarian Party seriously considering uh, giving its uh, endorsement to Robert Kennedy Jr., with Cornell West out there, and with no labels that will be funded by Republican billionaires uh, with a lot of money, um, we got to be worried about the future of the country. It could elect Donald Trump. Um, by drawing votes in the critical states away from Joe Biden, or by very possibly winning a state or two on a no-labels ticket, not any possibility of winning, and uh, throwing the election to the House, where even though I think it is now very likely that Democrats recapture their majority because of the embarrassments uh, that uh, House Republicans have inflicted upon themselves in the country, uh, the, uh, they vote by state if it's uh, not decided with 270 electoral votes uh, in November. And Republicans are still likely to have a majority of the states. So there's a lot 
uh, of reason for uh, Biden to be and for the people around Biden and for Democrats who and for anybody who cares about <laughs> making sure we don't end up with a fascist country uh, at the weaknesses that are there. Um, it's a long ways away. I think the president, obviously now with the Middle East, with Ukraine, um, with potential conflicts with China, uh, can't go back uh, to talking about some of the issues that are important in the campaign right now, but he will have to. I think he has to make democracy itself a major focal point and to bring those young voters back and possibly to uh, create some excitement with people of color. I still think the Dobbs issue and the fact that Republicans around the country are, are uh, getting more and more radical in the way they're dealing with women's reproductive uh, health and rights, um, that that's still going to be a big motivator uh, by next year. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. I I couldn't agree with you more. And I have become, for reasons I can't personally understand, is I have become a little more optimistic about, you know, Biden v. Trump, Biden winning. But then I've left myself with the question of like, Norm, what does winning look like? Because I'm I'm um what's the right way to say this? Winning to me, ugh, I, you know, I've, I I I don't know. What are we winning? And and are we are we winning only just like biting, you know, biting a little more time to kick the can down the curve that if Trump isn't in jail, that we've only created some other kind of super monster that comes and runs in 28. I, I, I just, I just feel like this is, it's, it, it feels like, you know, if you, if you follow any sort of sports and, and you have a team that's kind of constantly on the bubble and then they just eke it through, just kind of eke by, but they never get the stretch advantage is that you're constantly then looking over your shoulder and that's what it feels like every single day. And so, and I won't lie to you every time Biden takes the podium, even I, I'm a doctor, board certified, lots of education. Even I myself kind of sit and think, Oh my God, is today the day is today the day that he like drops dead. Is this the day? I don't know. And, and it's the same reason I'm just going to be honest. It's the same reason I have my phone by my bed with the ringer on. And I never have the iPhone has that automatic kind of do not disturb and sleep function. I never have it on because my parents or I could get a call and it's someone in an emergency room in my family. I have that same feeling about Joe Biden. And, and I don't think I'm wrong. I don't think I'm that different that every American <laughs> wants him to win. <laughs> and so that is not a good conversation to go into an election even if it's a second term. So then how do we, where and how then do we make room and space for new leadership? Let's shift to talking and then we'll close with um, you and I giving thanks for something because I know we do. Um, how do we, so so here's a great conversation I do not hear enough on pods or on MSNBC or, or you know, I know I've watched and listened to, you know, you and, and whatever you, whatever you and Mary Trump call the pod squad, or I'm forgetting what they're called. Um, nerd Avengers. A nerd Avengers. Thank you. I like that better than pod squad. I made that up. Um, do you, do you have, um, what is the optimism or, or what is the sense of like new leadership and kind of energy in the democratic party and Republican party for that matter, for kind of that next cultivating that next generation? 
Have you seen spurts of it? I know we've seen some really, you and I have talked about um, Wes Moore. We've talked about some, we talked about Glenn Youngkin. I think he's done his own flush, his career down the toilet recently. Um, I'm thankful for that. I am thankful for, I am, but you and I have spoken. Our, our democracy only works when we have two strong parties and, and I don't mean strong power. I mean, strong conversation, problem solving solving and conviction. We don't have it on either side. We need both sides for this democracy to work. But at this point, I'll take, I'll take anything. Where, where, where is the room and the energy for the, for the new leadership creation? I don't see it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Let me uh, reflect on a couple of things. First, I don't see any possibility that we have a new era of great governance over the next several years. The best we could probably hope for realistically is that Joe Biden ekes out a victory in 2024. Democrats recapture the House, but the odds are very high that they lose the Senate. And the Republican Party in the Senate is going to make his life miserable. And that means making governing and, you know, trying to grapple with the big issues and problems that we have that much more uh, difficult. Um, Now, uh, I think the Republican Party is unless they suffer a stunning defeat across the board in 2024, lose seats in the Senate instead of picking up the majority as they expect lose the House resoundingly, lose in state legislatures, lose the presidency, jolting them back to some sense that what they've been doing is wrong. When I look at the next generation of Republicans coming forward to serve in Washington, um, the state legislatures, the uh, city councils, now increasingly the school boards, they're more radical than the Freedom Caucus. So we're a ways away probably a long ways away from having a functional Republican Party operating not as a radical right party, but as a conservative, responsible, problem-solving party that we used to have. We're not there. For Democrats, um, I share your concerns about Biden. Everything that I know uh, from my own personal uh, interactions with him, um, which have been limited, but they've been real, And with everybody I know and trust who spends a lot of time with him is that his mental acuity is there, that he, you know, the the verbal stumbles and all of that are no different or very little different from what they've been for decades. That's right. But the fact is he looks old. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely right. It's his frailty. And he's just frail, period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Physically, I mean, you know, he is. Uh, he's out there riding his bike. He's working out. He's not, uh, you know, showing the signs of obesity that Trump is. Ironically, Trump's mental acuity has been dropping like a rock while Biden's has not. But it's hit Biden. Um, you know, the idea that uh, we see that's so widespread that he should have just dropped out and not run so that the new generation can come forward. Um, we've discussed this before. But I also believe that if Biden had decided not to run, we would have had a circus, uh, lots of people running for a Democratic nomination, an extended and probably in the end pretty bitter contest, and very likely, despite some of these signs of renewed strength, 
the heir apparent, uh, the first woman of color to uh, be in an administration would not win. And that would be very difficult for uh, maintaining the enthusiasm of the Democratic coalition. The reality is that there are a lot of attractive young Democrats out there. It's uh, We have uh, governors like Gretchen Whitmer and Wes Moore. We have senators, um, uh, a lot of them, uh, you know, some of whom have run before, like uh, Cory Booker, but a number of other young ones. Uh, uh, Raphael Warnock is just an, a, a terrific guy. We have uh, House members like Jamie Raskin, all of whom are extraordinarily impressive. We're going to get some others uh, probably in the next batch coming in. Uh, but that's going to have to wait for a while before they assume these uh, major leadership roles. And we have already seen just this wonderful, smooth succession in the House. Hakeem Jeffries is one of the most impressive young politicians I've seen yeah, in a very long he time. Is. He's good. Uh, and he's, he gets but, young people excited. Yeah. He is. He is. And, no, and he's, the Republican he's good. Party, Republican Party is a catastrophe. I mean, who are their, uh, who, where's the young talent? Elise Stefanik? Oh, no, God. No, but that's my uh, point. Yeah, yeah. that's the point. So, we, I mean, we've got some tough times ahead no matter what. And, you know, we have to watch both Ukraine, but especially the Middle East now. If we do not end up with a reasonable outcome here, at least the possibility that we could segue from this horrible human catastrophe towards some renewed momentum for a two-state solution, uh, then it's going to be bad for the world, uh, but it's also going to be uh, bad for uh, Joe Biden and for the future of the United States. So there's an awful lot going on out there that we have to be nervous about. Well, on that note, um, we're going to, that's, uh, I, I was just going to say, we were going to try to the pre -Thanksgiving end on a thankful message. note, yes. but our, yeah. our pre, yes, there we go. What, what I'll say is that we'll do this. We'll, we'll make, we'll, we'll spend the next week giving thanks and, um, getting listener and, and listener kind of questions, comments. And maybe when we come back, we'll do kind of a, a week after next do a wrap with like a nice yeah. holiday kind of themed kind of kick off whatever holidays you might celebrate. And we'll try to, to start. We finished Diwali, be getting into Kwanzaa and to Hanukkah and to Christmas <laughs> and heading into a nice holiday season. We'll come back to, we're always very thankful to our Words Matter listeners, both members, general members. If you're not a member, please become a member. And the conversation we just had is one of the many reasons why that your support matters. Support us by also sharing this podcast with your friends and family and liking it, reviewing it on social media and become a member of the DSR network. And our production is our incredible executive producer for Words Matter is Chris Cottonoir and our personal producer, who is our amazing friend is Riley Fessler, who we both give thanks for. Our next podcast should be in your pod or in a couple of weeks and see you soon.